Hi everyone, I'm Darren Nair, the creator and host of Pod Hostage Diplomacy. We're currently taking an extended break right now because I'm dealing with health issues. We will be back once I have fully recovered. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Hostage Diplomacy and take care. Welcome to Port Hostage Diplomacy. We work to free hostages and the unjustly detained around the world. Together with their families, we share their stories every week and let you know how you can help bring them home. I'm Darren Nair, and I've had the honor of campaigning with many of these families for years. These are some of the most courageous and resilient people among us, people who have never given up hope, people who will never stop working to reunite their families. And we will be right there by their side until their loved ones are back home. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's meet this week's guest. Welcome to Port Hostage Diplomacy. Trevor Reed is an American citizen and a former U.S. Marine from Texas. He has been wrongfully imprisoned in Russia for over two years. The current U.S. ambassador to Russia, John Sullivan, has stated that Trevor Reed is innocent and that this is a gross miscarriage of justice. The current U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, spoke to his Russian counterpart, Foreign Minister Lavrov, and called on Russia to release Trevor Reed so he can return home to his family. President Joe Biden raised Trevor's case with President Vladimir Putin when they both met at the Biden-Putin summit and said he's going to follow through with that discussion and he's not going to walk away on that. Members of both the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate have passed bipartisan resolutions calling for the immediate release of Trevor Reed and for him to be allowed to return home. So in summary, the White House, State Department, Senate and House of Representatives all agree that the Russians must release Trevor Reed immediately and allow him to come home to the United States. Now, Trevor is not the only American and former U.S. Marine unjustly held in Russia at the moment. Another American and former Marine, Paul Whelan, has also been detained in Russia. Trevor's detention is not an isolated incident, as there appears to be a pattern of wrongful detention by Russian authorities targeting American citizens who are former U.S. Marines. Trevor's parents believe that he is being held by the Russian government at the request of the Russian security agency, the FSB, so he can be used as a bargaining chip to extract concessions from the United States. This would be hostage diplomacy. The FSB is Russia's federal security service and is one of the successor agencies of the Soviet Union's KGB. We had the honor of interviewing Trevor's parents, Joey and Paula Reed in September. We have also interviewed Paul Whelan's sister, Elizabeth Whelan, twice. So if you haven't already, please do check out these episodes on your podcast app or visit podhostagediplomacy.com. We always tell the families we interview that we'll be campaigning right by their side until their loved ones come home and we mean it. So we'll keep you up to date with their campaigns through sitrap pods like this one or breaking news pods. We're joined today once again by Trevor's parents, Joey and Paula Reed. I'm sorry it couldn't be under better circumstances. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. We Thank appreciate you. it. You're welcome. Thank you for coming back on. Now, for our listeners who haven't listened to our previous episode, can you please give them a summary of what happened to Trevor? Well, it's a long story. I'll, make, I'll try and make it short. He uh, uh, had been dating. Uh, he met a, a Russian uh, uh, woman, young woman, younger than him, uh, Lena, 
uh, back in 20, I think late 2016. And, um, they met on vacation in Greece and, um, they started dating and they dated. They, so she spent a couple of summers here with us uh, when she was on break, uh, from law school in Russia. And, um, and she spent, uh, one or two holidays here with us. Um, and then Trevor had traveled to, to visit her parents in uh, Russia in January of 2016 for a couple of weeks. And then in the summer of 2019, he on college break from UNT, University of North Texas, he decided to go to Russia and spend the summer with her so they could decide whether they wanted to, you know, go further, maybe get married and, um, and also take Russian lessons for his uh, international studies degree at, uh, University of North Texas. So, um, just before he was due to return, they had been to a party and, um, he, uh, was toasting vodka with, with all the people from the law firm. It was a, a law firm private party in a park and, um, became very intoxicated and on the way home the people they were riding with stopped to let him out to get sick. And, uh, he got sick and then he became disoriented and he wouldn't get back in the car. One of the people called the police, which you don't do in Russia. And the police came and realizing he was an American knew that he would probably have money. So they said, well, let's take him to the police station, which is against police policy in Russia. They take drunks to the hospital. Uh, otherwise, their police stations would be overflowing. Um, and so they uh, because everyone drinks vodka in Russia, even Putin admitted in an interview, everyone does this in Russia. So they took him to the police station. They asked for a bribe, which is pretty much standard operating procedure. Uh, the girlfriend, being a new lawyer, said, well, well, we'll take care of this. You know, didn't agree, disagree. They said, come back and pick him up at nine o'clock when he sobers up. Um, and then because the girlfriend and the other people followed him to the police station, uh, they said, follow us. She came back at 9 a.m. with her mother and the FSB was there. Someone had discovered on his visa application that he was a Marine. It's what you're required to put that on there. And after the FSB interrogated him for a couple of hours about his Marine Corps experience, he, uh, they told him the police came back in and said, you're under arrest for endangering the lives of police officers. You grab the arm of a driver on the way to the police station. And then through a long trial in the middle of COVID lockdown in Russia, and uh, I went there to be a part of the trial and meet with the attorneys for 14 months. Uh, it was beyond any doubt that it was completely bogus. Um, we had video evidence that was shown in court and analyzed by Russian government officials that said the police lied. All the video from inside the police car and in and outside the police station was denied to the defense, even though everyone, the police, police station, supervisor, investigator, everyone admitted there was a video and they had seen it. And uh, so they gave and long to the short end of the story. They sentenced our son to the longest sentence in Russian history, modern Russian history. They gave him nine years on a possible 10 year sentence. And other Russians who had stabbed and shot police officers and nearly killed them had only received eight as the maximum sentence and only a, a dozen or so of those in the last 20 years. So it was obviously no one, no one was hurt. There was no evidence of anyone ever being hurt or that anything happened. And the police changed their testimony four times. So in, in the courtroom on, on the record. So, uh, he was sentenced to nine years. He, within a month of that time, he was sentenced to a, uh, Russian prison camp out in the forest in the Republic of Mordovia. And since that time, they have not allowed him to call us. It's been about 214 days 
They have allowed, allowed him to make uh, several calls to his girlfriend in Moscow, uh, but they will not let him call the embassy or, uh, or us. And most of that time, we, our son has been in solitary confinement, uh, either alone in a very small room uh, or with another prisoner in a, a slightly larger room. And he's been placed there because he's refusing to work. And uh, he says, I'm not going to work for my hostage takers and make money for them. So um, the prison apparently is violating Russian rules uh, where there's supposed to be a special barracks for prisoners that refuse to work. It's called a, a, a more uh, hardened regime. But apparently they don't operate that one at this prison against the rules. And they just place all the non-workers into solitary confinement. He has a hole in the floor for a toilet. Um, a bed that folds down from the wall has two chains, a metal frame, and he lays on that uh, for 10 o'clock at night until the sun comes up. That bed has to be folded up during the day. And there's a small bench on the wall where he's apparently supposed to sit. And other than that, he can only stand. And uh, he violates the rules and he lays on the floor next to the hot water pipes because that's the only way he can stay warm in the freezing temperature where he sees his breath all day. He drinks untreated water from a faucet. Um, and um, the food's obviously not the best when you get, you know, potato soup, you know, two or three times a day, maybe some cabbage and occasionally throw some meat in. So that's, that's where we're at. I'm sorry to hear that. I think the key thing is for our listeners, the US government has classified Trevor Reed as an American who has been wrongfully detained in Russia. The US ambassador to Russia John Sullivan has stated that this is a gross miscarriage of justice. And as I said at the beginning in the monologue, the White House, the State Department, the Senate and the House of Representatives have all called for Trevor Reed's immediate release. Since okay. we last spoke in September last year, there have been some warring geopolitical developments, mainly Russia about to go to war with Ukraine. And obviously with Trevor being held in Russia, this is a great concern to you. Can you just elaborate further? So, of course, we're concerned that once Russia invades uh, Ukraine, if they do, then um, any lines of communication between the United States and Russia will be uh, closed because we're going to be enacting sanctions upon Russia, according to President Biden, and those might hurt Trevor's chances for negotiating to come home. So what is it you need the U.S. government to do? Well, we need them to... Uh negotiate some sort of an agreement with uh, with the Russian government. We uh, we believe and then was actually was publicly confirmed yesterday by National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on the Jake Tapper CNN uh, program, State of the Union. He said that they have been in uh, communications with the Russian government, you know, over this issue, which, again, both President Putin and President Biden had both publicly said in press conferences following their meeting that they were open to discuss this, uh, you know, between the foreign ministry and the State Department. So apparently something has been going on and um, we just hope that they can continue that. And that um, we I mean, we we believe that we have at least some idea of what the Russian government wants. You know, they they've basically said in press conferences and through their media that they would like at least two of their uh, Russian citizens who are in our prisons returned. And uh, we think maybe the big holdup is that our government is reluctant to exchange two tourists, you know, for these uh, these criminals that were arrested in foreign countries. And we just think that um, 
we know they're negotiating. We want them to do it more quickly. I understand. Um, so apart from that, is there anything else that you need any branch of government to do? Congress, the uh, SPIHA office, SPIHA being Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, or any other government branch? Can they do anything else to help? I don't know what else uh, the SPIHA office, the Special Presidential Envoy on Hostage Affairs, Roger Carstens and his staff can do. They they are fabulous, and every hostage and detainee family that we're in contact with uh, are, are very thankful for all the work they've done. But really, their research and advisory, they make recommendations to the Secretary of State um, and probably to the National Security Advisor on you know what the options are uh, in these situations and the background on them. And they've uh, been extremely and they and they reach out to us and, you know, just ask us what we need, what, what have we heard, and that we talk to them weekly, if not more often. Um, so they're, they've been great. Uh, the State Department, uh, we have some contact with them in, indirectly. We've met with officials there. We've spoken to the Secretary of State on the phone. And uh, we just, we think it's really at the highest level. And that's according to every government official we've spoken to. I mean, this, this is to the president. And we just need, you know, the president you know, to uh, to take some action uh, in some sort of maybe a, a prisoner exchange or or some sort of tit for that tat to get these uh, these veterans back. And as far as Congress goes, I mean, I think uh, our our resolution uh, that was introduced by uh, our congressman uh, August Fluger had fifty seven co sponsors that were both Democrat and Republican from all over the country. And, and there was even uh, bipartisan co-signers on uh, Senator Cornyn's uh, resolution in the Senate. So we've had wide bipartisan support for those resolutions that have passed in both houses. So other than our congressmen and senators uh, that are familiar with this case, you know, talking to the president directly and saying, Mr. President, you, you need to act on this. Uh, we don't know how much more Congress could do. So I've been following your Twitter feed. Uh, that's at Free Trevor Reed. That's your Twitter account. I understand from your tweets that Trevor has come into contact with someone with TB. Um, yeah, see, back in, I think, probably late November or early December, uh, he was in contact with another uh, prisoner. Uh, I believe it was a, a prisoner actually from Cuba who... Uh, was coughing, uh, you know, had a, a very progressive uh, cough. And uh, and then Trevor, along with, uh, I think, some other prisoners who are kept in solitary confinement, uh, they were sent to a prison hospital, which they do about every six months just to give, I guess, the solitary confinement people a break and then and then give them a what we call a fake checkup. You know, they they could be missing an arm and they would say they're healthy and can work. So uh they went there and Trevor was there for, I don't know, a, a week and a half or something. And they, he returned to the prison camp. The other guy was also returned, um, said, Oh, he's fine. He said he, and then they said he had pneumonia and then he came back to the prison and I guess he got worse. And within a short period of time, they sent him back to the prison hospital and then word funneled down that he had tuberculosis had been moved to the tuberculosis wing because, you know, there's tuberculosis is fairly widespread in Russian prisons. It's not as bad as it was. 20 years ago, but it's still very prevalent. And, uh, and then, uh, the word that, uh, we've gotten through his girlfriend is that, uh, the word in the prison is, is that that, that inmate lost uh, a lung and, uh, was possibly going to die. Now, 
apparently they've tested. I'm not sure if they've tested uh, the other inmates where Trevor's at, but they're giving them uh, some sort of preventative medicines. And to our knowledge, they've refused to test Trevor or give him those medicines. And we're, we're unsure why he's not getting the same treatment that the other inmates are, especially when they rarely give any type of treatment. I also understand he contracted COVID-19 in prison, right? Yes, he did. How, how has his recovery been? He I think he's had some lingering coughs uh, ever since. It never cleared up completely. So I guess it's kind of hard to tell what's new with his coughing situation and what's left over from before. But it never it never cleared up. Yeah, he, I mean, he's obviously better, but, you know, and he, he wasn't ever, you know, deathly ill, but he had, you know, a, a severe uh, cough uh, in Moscow. And that was another thing. My understanding is, they when he, they sent him to another uh, hospital in Moscow uh, with with other other people that were in his cell at the time, and they just gave them vitamins. And then after the ten day period or whatever, they sent them back, you know, to the Moscow detention center that he was in. And then uh, my understanding was he had a prescription or something for you know for a medicine to take afterwards. And uh, he was when, once he was transferred to uh, the prison camp, they've. They've never, they've never given him any of that medication. So, so given that you haven't been able to speak to him, how do you know how he's doing? Is it are you getting word through his girlfriend or through embassy visits? We we get a word through his girlfriend mostly. Uh, the embassy hasn't been able to visit him since November, and uh, we also sent a local attorney from the Mordovia area to go visit him, and we send questions, and he answers the uh, attorney. That's how we hear back or how he's doing and things that he needs from us or complaints that he has. That's how we hear about it. Now, the, the ambassador has traveled there himself twice. That's an eight hour drive in an armored vehicle. And he visits uh, our son one day and then spends a the night and then Paul Whelan the next day and then they drive back. Um, another uh, new thing that's happening is that we sent a new attorney to visit Trevor uh, this week, this past week. And the guards refused to allow Trevor to give uh, written complaints or notes uh, to the attorney. They confiscated them. And that's that's never I don't remember that ever happening. And it's very unusual. And that's one of the very few rules that they actually follow there is they have access to your attorney and and you can exchange you know written communications back and forth. Um he, the attorney was allowed to read our letters to Trevor, I believe. But uh, but anyway, so that was the first time that had happened. And apparently the warden told him afterwards that, that the, the guards would be punished and that that would not happen again. And we don't believe anything they say. Uh, so that's, again, uh, where we've been getting our information is either through the two ambassador visits, local attorney visits, or phone calls to his girlfriend. I also noticed from your Twitter feed that you had a meeting with National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. I appreciate that a lot of what is said is confidential, but is there anything you can tell us about how that meeting went and how you felt afterwards? Well, we we felt that uh, we're very thankful for the meeting. Um, I know that was something that they really hadn't been doing previously and they, that he's met with a lot of people since, a lot of detainee families. Um, he was very genuine and compassionate um, and said that, you know, it's the president has been briefed, you know, several times on what's going on and that uh, they're, they're work, they are working and, uh, you know, to to accomplish something. So we, we know that just on our side alone, there's all kinds of different agencies that have to 
agree on, you know, what to do, you know, and then, and then advise the president. So we just believe that there may be, you know, a holdup and that holdup might be the Department of Justice because they are, our understanding is, you know, they operate, you know, based on the rule of law and they're, uh, historically against any of these, you know, prisoner swaps, um, that, that, that we believe Russia has been, uh, advocating for. So, um, although I should mention that both the Obama administration and the Trump administration made several of these prisoner swaps with, with foreign nations or groups. And, uh, we're just kind of wondering what's the holdup, uh, especially with war in Ukraine looming. Um, so we're, anyway, that's, that's kind of where we're at with that. But again, back to our meeting with him it was a, a very good meeting and we're very thankful for that. Meeting. Well, that's good to hear. Um, now, Joey, you're a former Marine yourself. Trevor's former Marine. Um, and he, he yes. used to guard President Obama. So in order to get that role, you have to be very good at what you do. What can the U.S. Marine Corps do to help? Well, <laughs> obviously, I think probably the biggest thing that Marines and former Marines could do would be to, you know, write the president, um, like, like all other citizens. But when you think about all the people in this country that have been Marines, you know, hundreds of thousands, I mean, that one group alone would be a giant lobbying, uh, power, uh, to, to get the government to act. I mean, let's face it, all politicians from local to federal, they're concerned about votes. And if Marines were to stand up together and say, Hey, bring these guys home, you know, and, and, uh, follow our, our motto, you know, simplify Dallas, always faithful. Trevor and Paul are being held because they're former Marines. There's no doubt about it. And we're kind of surprised at what little support that we've gotten from Marines. We, we've had some former Marines that don't know Trevor that have, you know, have reached out to us. And of course, all of Trevor's, you know, buddies, you know, from Camp David and from, Third Battalion, First Marines, but uh, we understand that the uh, leadership in the current Marine Corps is limited on what they can say, just because of the situation and and their positions. But it would be nice if maybe some former uh, Marine leadership, you know, could could say something. I know it would uh, it would make Trevor and Paul feel much better. Boost them around for sure. I remember you saying in our last interview, it would be great if President Obama reached out. Or said something. Has he done that? No, he hasn't. And we, you know, it's, it's our belief that he just, uh, doesn't want to interfere with anything that's going on now. We, you know, we believe President Obama is also a, a compassionate person. And just in, from what Trevor told us about his interactions with him, the couple of times that he met him, that he was, you know, just a very friendly and, and, and kind person. And uh, we think that he's probably just not able to reach out to us because it's an ongoing situation and he probably doesn't want to interfere with the current administration's, uh, no, I understand, especially given the current president is his former vice president. Um, so I remember I've been following your case for, for a couple of years now. And I remember at the beginning you were struggling to get media coverage. Fortunately, now you've got some very good media coverage. You've been, I mean, thanks to a journalist like Jake Tapper, uh, you've been on Fox news as well. They've given you great coverage. So what more can journalists and the news outlets do to help? Well, I think right now, especially while it's getting close to a war breaking out in Ukraine, if they would remember that there's two Marines sitting in jail waiting to come home and to you know ask the questions like Jake Tapper did the other day, so with the war fixing to break out, what will happen to Trevor and Paul? You know, they need to ask that question 
so that Trevor and Paul are not forgotten and they're always put on the, the forefront. And we, we just need people to do essentially what Jake Tapper did yesterday. And while discussing the Ukraine situation, he also asked the National Security Advisor about Trevor and Paul. And, and quite frankly, this is my recommendation to the American media is that whenever you're discussing any foreign country, uh, if we have Americans that the United States government is considered wrongfully detained or hostage there, <laughs> they should be included in that conversation. Whenever we speak about the close to a hundred million dollars in aid to Afghanistan since we withdrew from there, every time that is discussed, they should be discussing where is Mark Frerichs? Why, why did, why did two administrations not include him in negotiations with the Taliban? Why did we pull out and, and take tens of thousands of foreign, uh, foreign, uh, citizens to come here. And we've left Mark Frerichs there, a, a veteran of the Navy who was there as a contractor, uh, in, in a lot of ways, I think helping the Af Afghanistan people. And it could have easily been negotiated. And yet for some reason, he's been left behind. And so we have these situations all over the world with Americans that were there either as tourists or they're working and they've been taken hostage and either given crazy sentences because they're Americans or mistreated uh, simply because they're Americans. The media should be speaking out about that more often. I absolutely agree with you. I've interviewed eight different American families held hostage or wrongfully detained overseas on this podcast. And I've only been doing this for a few months. And that's Austin Tice as well, also a former veteran held in Syria. Yes, for nine over nine years, nine years, 135 yeah. something days, I believe. So what can the American public do to help or anyone around the world? What can they do to help? Well, we're asking um, our friends on our social media to go to the White House uh, slash, you know, whitehouse.gov slash contact and then write the letter to President Biden saying bring Trevor Reed. And we always include Paul Whelan in there as well. Bring them home. And so we would ask everyone if you're seeing this to please do that and then post that on your social media and share so that they're getting inundated you know, daily with someone saying free Trevor Reed and Paul Whelan and bring them home so that that gets the attention of the president. It takes about 45 seconds to fill out the online form on your phone or on your laptop <clears throat> uh, to, to tell the president directly. Now, he's not going to see that message, but I guarantee you, if he gets 3000 messages today saying free Paul Whelan, Trevor Reed, somebody's going to mention that in a printout to him. So absolutely. Um, now, I've spoken to many American families held hostage or wrongfully detained overseas. Um, last week, I spoke to Veronica Vidal Wagerman, her father, Tomeo Vidal, is being held in Venezuela. We had an interesting conversation on the support that the government needs to give families like yourselves. Now, it's not, it's not easy. It's very stressful. It's traumatic. And it's definitely not without its own financial costs, uh, campaigning to free your son, Trevor. Um, I know you have a GoFundMe, um, and I know lawyers cost a lot of money. What type of support do you think the government should provide, if any, to families like yourselves? Well, it's, it's complicated. Um, uh, and let me say this, that first of all, thank you for all of the people, uh, friends and strangers who've donated to the GoFundMe campaign. And we, we want to let you know that we use that for attorney's fees, for, uh, food and books that we're sending, uh, that, that he didn't even receive on the last package that was sent. But, uh, but we're, we're using those funds, you know, to, to help Trevor. And we're very grateful. We had a, a small, a small retirement, 
which we we've used most of that, uh, you know, for my travel there for 14 months and for uh, uh, attorney's fees and, and other costs up front. And quite frankly, we can't even imagine uh, people who didn't have a small retirement to spend or a, a, a good paying job where they could, you know, pay for attorneys in Russia um, and, and things of that nature. So it's a complicated situation because uh, wrongful detainees could really be broken into multiple categories. Uh, and uh, but I think that there should be some uh, some sort of determination for certain types of wrongful detainees and hostages that the government, uh, you know, should maybe help somehow. I mean, it's when we sit here and we're giving, you know, billions of dollars in aid to, to foreign citizens in need. And then you've got Americans who are held in those same foreign countries because they're Americans and the American government doesn't provide one penny to assist them. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not against foreign aid. I think that that has many benefits. Uh, you know, not only for, for the people in those countries, but for us and for the world. But I think that the United States government's, uh, priorities sometimes are screwed up. Garrett, I want to say, even though, um, I know you were talking about like financial help support for the families. They're not giving that, obviously, but through the SPIHA State Department and stuff like that, they have given us other things, um, other services that we could seek out if we needed to for like help with the IRS for Trevor when he gets back and um, trying to set us up with uh, referrals for mental health issues. If we have those, we need to talk to someone or whatever. So they have given us some types of things like that. Um, I think that the financial aspect of it would probably just be opening a whole can of worms because how do you um, just give a flat rate? Do you say, oh, this person's in a, bit, a worse situation? I, I don't know how that would be accomplished. Um, even though it would be nice, but you know, I just don't know how that could, that would happen. Most of the aid that the, uh, the federal government or this through the SPIHA office is, uh, suggested to us or informed us is through NGOs, is through non-government organizations, uh, people like yourself that are trying to, to help, uh, detainees and hostages. Yes. And hostage us as well. The James W. Foley legacy foundation, the Richardson center, have I missed anyone? Yes. Right. Oh, there's there's several. Uh, okay. Amir Fakuri uh, Foundation. Yeah. Uh, there's you know they've they've been wonderful. So too. you're a strong and resilient family. How have you been coping? Because I know you have to be strong for Trevor and for yourselves as well. So how have you been coping? It's been really hard. Um, I don't know why, but the last couple of months have been hard. Probably because of the Ukraine situation. So for me, I've not sleeping well. Um, I have good days. I have bad days. Um, but you just got to keep going. And, and, um, Trevor told his girlfriend to tell me to, to be strong. So I'm trying to be strong for Trevor. You know, if, if Trevor can cope with what he's dealing with, exactly. we, we can sure cope with the stress and the, uh, the, uh, I don't know, all the things that we're having to deal with here to support him. Uh, so that's, I guess, one way that I, I look at it and I go, well, if I'm having a bad day, it's nothing compared to what he's he's having to do. Yeah, I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Yeah. Now, I've been keeping up to date with your campaign by either contacting you directly or following you on Twitter, the Free Travel Read campaign. How else can members of the public keep up to date with your campaign? Well, uh, the main the main way right now is Twitter. We you know we post on there uh, sometimes multiple times a day, sometimes every few days. Um, we have a website, and I apologize that I have not kept the website updated. Um, and then on the website, you can actually go on there and it'll say for more information or something that 
the nature you can plug in your name and email and, and uh, tell who you are. And then we can add you to an email list. And when we send out updates, you know, you'll get a direct email about, you know, what's, what's the latest. What's the website address? Trevor. Uh, it's uh, uh, free trevorreed.com. All right. Thank you. Um, so that's free trevorreed.com for those of you listening. Now, Joey and Paula, we're almost at the end of our interview. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? We'd like to meet with the president. Uh, we believe that, you know, he has, uh, he's surrounded by lots of uh, experienced and educated advisors. Um, but I don't believe that any of them have ever had a, a child taken hostage by a foreign country, especially not a superpower like Russia. And we think that it's really important that the president hear uh, from us and not just saying, oh, please bring our son home, but hear other perspectives of, of the situation and the, and the possible uh, alternatives uh, to making an agreement with Russia. And we, we'd like to speak to him directly. And uh, we think it's just important that he hear all sides, not just all the sides in that room. And that's uh, one of the main things that we'd like to add is that we would uh, we, we appreciate meeting with all the other government officials that have talked to us and met with us so far. Uh, we really appreciate it, but we would really like to speak to the president himself. Understood. Um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. We'll be right here campaigning by your side until Trevor comes home. Thank you for joining us. Thank, Thank you, Darren. Darren. We, we appreciate, appreciate everything you're doing. Yeah, you're welcome. It's an honor Thank to help. You. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Port Hostage Diplomacy. We're not just a podcast, we're a community. If you're on Twitter and would like to post a message of solidarity to the families or have any questions for us, please tweet it using the hashtag Port Hostage Diplomacy and we'll get back to you. If you like what we're trying to do, please do consider supporting the show financially. You can do this using the support the show link in the description of this podcast episode. We're grateful for any contributions, no matter how small. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week. Take care.